There has to be some common sense. Yes, sir, they have the car stopped at 10th and Grant's We still don't know who pulled the trigger. and welcome to Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. I'm your host, retired NYPD Sergeant Bill Cannon, 27-year veteran of the NYPD, retired out of Manhattan North Homicide Squad. And today we have a treat. We have with us, straight out of Brooklyn, retired NYPD Detective Phil Grimaldi. How are you doing today, Phil? I'm doing pretty good, Billy. I think your mic, you got to put it in front of you a little bit. Oh, yeah, you know something? That, that's probably a good idea. There you go. I'm, I'm multitasking way too much, you know, and I forgot to much do better, much the better. obvious stupidity of me. Anyway, we have another treat today. Retired NYPD sergeant and college professor, law degree. I don't want to name all his accolades, all his qualifications. Uh, former Bronx cop and a NYPD sergeant, uh, professor at Albertus Magnus College in New Haven, Connecticut. Michael Geary. How you doing today, Mike? Billy, thank you. Doing well. Looking now, your, to your students to must love to see you on this show. You're like now a mini celebrity from being on Police Off the Cuff Real Crime Stories. Within the family. What do you mean <laughs> mini? What do you mean mini? <laughs> a mini? Yeah, not a mini. You're a full, a full That's celebrity. Right. Like, That's like right. Phil. Phil can't even walk around Brooklyn without people throwing cannolis at him, you know? <laughs> that's true that's true i got spotted yesterday uh you guys that's right you get, you get spotted Good. all the time on the street I, i'm up in westchester they don't spot me that much up in westchester but it's it's funny every once in a while someone does say, oh, aren't you on that podcast yeah it sort of feels good you know it does so guys let's get back to what's going on and obviously in the idaho case the quadruple murder of the four students it's moving along. It's moving along, I believe, methodically and correctly. And I think the police are on the right track. I really do. Despite all of that, it seems like, you know, the, the press wants to have an outcome that is just not happening right now at, at the in the time frame they want. They want the speed of this investigation to go according to their plan, not according to how a real homicide investigation goes. And you must be methodical. You must cross your T's, dot your I's, and go where the evidence takes you. And for that, the uh, Moscow police is being, you know, targeted with, oh, they don't know what they're doing. They're this, that. I think they're probably doing a great job. And they're working along with the FBI and the Idaho State Police. They're just not doing it at the speed that the media demands. Phil, what are your feelings on that? Well, just look about uh, how much information they have released. There's been a lot of stuff, even though it doesn't seem like it. And listen, we don't want this guy, whoever it is, this perpetrator out there one second more. Uh, God forbid uh, this person could do, uh, you know, harm somebody else. So obviously we don't want that. However, like you said, Bill, you have to go where the evidence takes you. I've said it numerous times. You've said it numerous times. And unfortunately, the speed at which that this case is going is not good enough for the general public and the media. And believe me, I do get it. And the family's frustration, I get it all. But unfortunately, this is just the way it is. Um, you know, the uh, the police department there, along with the FBI and the state police, uh, the Moscow police, they're doing a hell of a job. They're releasing little bits here and there. I'm sure there's a lot more 
that's being held that we don't know. If we had access to the case folder, we'd probably be amazed at what's going on in this case. Absolutely. Professor Geary, what are your feelings on this? I think I think Phil's absolutely right. You guys have had so much uh, experience with long investigations, brief investigations. And from a from a, an attorney's point of view, you know, you might have reasonable suspicion. Then you might develop probable cause against a particular suspect. You don't you may hold back in making an arrest because it's it's one thing to know in your heart and as a detective with all the information you have who actually might be the person who committed this crime. But remember, it's not what you know, it's what you can prove in a court of law later on. So they're dotting their I's, they're crossing their T's. Uh, you, you, Phil's absolutely right. They are going to take their time, be methodical, because when they present this to a grand jury or and, and go, go ahead towards a homicide case, they have to have everything solid. You don't, do not want to leave anything left to question. And so they may already have one or two people already on their sites. They're not going to take them in right now. They're going to take their time, do it right. These people aren't going anywhere. And uh, I tr I'm going to trust the Idaho State Police. I'm going to trust the Moscow Police. I'm going to trust the FBI. Everybody together, that's an unbeatable team. Absolutely. I'm going to play this. This is from uh, News Nation. And I just, I, I just want to, uh, good morning, America. I just wanted to just note how, even in this, it seems like the press is steering it to their narrative, not necessarily to the police's narrative. And I find that a little bit, uh, I find that a little bit disturbing. So let's play. Body camera footage captured a group of people who happened to be walking near the home where the killings took place around the same time as the murders. Police have previously said that investigators didn't find anything. Uh, they may have been stopped for underage drinking, but it's not clear exactly what they have learned from this video. Uh, we also know that police have collected hours of surveillance footage from a gas station clerk in Moscow who told police that she saw a white car pass by on the night of the stabbing death. So let's bring in News Nation contributor Elizabeth Vargas uh, for a little more breakdown. Elizabeth, you know, this case is just, it's mind blowing uh, that there hasn't been any type of suspect. Uh, we Boom. It is, it is not mind-blowing blowing that there hasn't been any. Th that's the narrative they're putting out there. It is not. I, I don't know if this broadcaster has ever worked a murder before, but that narrative, I don't want that narrative out there, but that's the narrative they are pushing. This is highly unusual, first of all, to get a quadruple murder, highly unusual for it to be on the outskirts of a college campus, highly unusual for it to be kids 21, 2, 21, 2, and 20 years old, very young, but not, you know, highly unusual not to have an arrest. They're working this case as hard as they can. But this narrative, I think, is dangerous to push. Phil, what do you think? 100%, Billy. I mean, listen, you start at square one, you wind up with a quadruple homicide. You have to put things together at the crime scene. You start there. You start on the inside and you work your way out. You have to follow the evidence. These things are just not simple two-piece puzzles. This is a very complicated situation, and I am sure that they are putting every effort that they can. This is a seven-day-a-week, 24-hour-a-day investigation till it's solved. Anybody talking about a cold case and anything like that, that's completely ridiculous. The media has to tamper down all the rhetoric. 100%. Uh, Professor Geary. Well, one of the things also with with uh, the way she phrased it is that this is going to hurt 
the families. The families are are hurting already. And to think that someone is going to, who pretends to have some sort of special knowledge is going to say that this is, you know, not the way it's supposed to be. This isn't going according to the way they expect it to do. Um, This gives the family the idea that perhaps maybe the police don't know what they're doing. And that is pretty far from the truth. And that has no place here. That does not help anyone. Maybe she's frustrated because she doesn't have any content that she can break on the air with and make an announcement. Uh, But other than that, that's about the frustration I see in her face. Um, No experience. And she's hurting the families, I think. You know, folks, just to let everyone know out there in media land, uh, none of what the broadcast media says is going to solve this case. They may disagree. They think they're going to come up with the smoking gun. And they mentioned the um, the Gabby Petito case as a case that was helped along uh, by social media. And that happens to be true. Uh, a podcast named uh, the, the Bethune family, Red, White, and Bethune, they actually had video that helped to find the body of Gabby Petito. So that does happen, but the broadcast media with their opinions on how the homicide is being worked and what procedures should be, they're not correct. So I think you should listen to the uh, expert. We haven't found anybody or the police haven't found anybody who could be a suspected killer. The four people seen walking in this video, this body camera footage uh, near the crime scene, do we have anything that we can get out of that? I mean, how could it possibly be unrelated when it was so close to the house it it isn't unrelated those there were four people i have to comment on that that was a gem how could those four guys walking by be unrelated how could that be unrelated and and the other one agrees with her and in in the very fact you're right it's not unrelated because now that they've been spotted on video the police must interview them. They must find them and they must interview them. Are they involved in this murder? Are they witnesses? We have to close that door. Phil. Bottom line line is is just because uh, the video shows them in and around the area at the time that this murder possibly took place does not mean that they are definitely involved in the case. This is a a videotape of someone that could have been in the area. I think very important to talk to, obviously, to ask them what they saw, what they heard, if they saw anyone or, or, or possibly involved in this thing. 100%. But you cannot say concrete that they are involved in this or have some information. You can't do that until you interview them. The media is making leaps and bounds on this case. I think that they got to slow down on this. This is something that brought to the investigators' attention. I am certain they're out trying to find these kids and interview them if they haven't already. And again, we cannot say concretely that these people are connected to or have information 100% 100% related to this homicide, this quadruple homicide. You know, coming from working in the Bronx in Manhattan, it, it's quite often that there may be a homicide take place, or maybe a, a violent assault take place, and people are going about their daily lives. It's a small town, but everyone was out partying, getting ready for the Thanksgiving break. So the fact that there was four people walking by, and for someone to say, they must logically must be related and know something about the homicide that that's they're just grasping for straws 
And it's just making the police look, uh, you know, unprofessional by saying, well, the police are, you know, interested, but why aren't they, why aren't there warrants out for their arrest already? If right. it's, just, it's just amazing. Well, you know something, again, Mike, we can't ignore those four individuals no. that were walking by because they're spotted on video at about the time. Right. So now, as the police say, all of this stuff brings them more work to do just to eliminate the possibility that these four had anything to do with it or were potential witnesses. So again, in that way, yes, they're involved because they walked through or close to the crime scene at about the time of the murder, but I don't think they had anything to do with it. But I, I mean, I can't. I you got to try wrong. to interview them. You have to try to interview them. Of course, of course. Right. Let me add this back. Remove you, Mike, and who were close to the house around the time of the murders it could be completely innocuous and innocent. Um, it was a Saturday night or actually Sunday morning, but you know, college kids are out and about. This is a, there were frat houses nearby. There were parties going on. It could have been kids trying to avoid being arrested for underage drinking, like the, the kids who were being arrested that we see in this body cam video. So we don't know who those four are. Obviously police want to find them and ask them. They might've seen something. They might've heard something. They might've seen the car that they're now looking for. So obviously I, I can't imagine police haven't been trying to track these four people down or that these four people haven't actually come forward to say we were in the area that night and we here's what we saw or here's what we didn't see. So obviously police want to talk. To, it, it is related, Adrian. It's just a matter of how. A gas station clerk in Moscow claims that she spotted the white car uh, around the time of the murders, but we know the car didn't have plates. So unless there are these crystal clear images of surveillance footage that would be so crisp that you could zoom in on a picture of the driver, how can this even help the investigation? Because somebody else might have footage of that white car that does show the license plate. That's a crucial thing. Um, you know, it was about three weeks after the crime that police came forward and said, we're looking for this white car. Anybody who saw the white car, please contact us. You know, there's obviously a lot going on that we don't know about. What led them to put out that plea for anybody who saw the car? How did they know that white car was in the area at the time of the killings? Um, you know, so this gas station footage is hugely crucial. Unfortunately, it doesn't show anything. We're not even sure it's the white Elantra that they're looking for. But there was a white car in the area zooming away and the gas station clerk caught it on surveillance video. Um, you know, hopefully somebody on, you know, a lot of these places have sur surveillance cameras cameras and our recording footage. Unfortunately, Adrian, in most institutions, in most businesses, those tapes are recycled um, every so often, usually every seven days, sometimes every month, but usually it's every seven days. So putting out this plea three weeks after the murders, I'm not sure how much video they're going to be able to find, but somebody might have a cell phone video. People are recording videos on this you know, on their cell phones all the time. Maybe this is cell phone video from someplace else of a white car that could help people you know, crack the case that might show the license plate or the occupants inside the car. You know, this case is getting a lot of attention, like as much as the Gabby Petito murder, uh, private and online sleuths. They're all over the place, giving their own analysis or read on what they think happened. Is this making it more difficult for law enforcement? It's certainly making it more difficult for the families. We already know there was a fake video posted out there. Ashley Banfield was playing part of that. So we have uh, we've discussed this um, does a lot of information make it more difficult uh, for law enforcement? Yes, it does, because it's just like all the tips they receive. Every single tip that's received, they have to 
investigate it and close it out. Even if it's nonsensical, they have to do a bit of an investigation and close it out. Now, this white Elantra and this the revelation that this gas station had eight hours of video, and actually an employee of this gas station went through the video and spotted what appears to be, and there's folks in the chat saying, that's not an Elantra, the headlights are different. Very possible, you know? But one of the ways, look, I think, and you guys can agree or disagree with me, I think that um, this vehicle is more than just witnesses they're looking for. I think this very possibly, and I said possibly, could be the perp's car. I really firmly believe that. So they have to connect the dots. Where's the video that you first saw it on? All right, let's see if we can get some video of it leaving the area. If you get video of it leaving the area, let's see if we can get video further up so we can see exactly or cl as close to as possible where that vehicle ended up. Phil. Well, bottom line, Billy, uh, you just laid out the exact investigation that I'd be doing if I became privy to the information about this vehicle. I'd be looking for further video from where it's first spotted. Uh, it's going in a direction. There's obviously going to be other video cameras further down the block or the avenue. There could be traffic cameras. There's so many different uh, areas of video in the world we live in today that I would try to track this car and find it. And perhaps maybe the car pulled into a 7-Eleven and bought something. Now you possibly have a video inside the location of a, of a person. You have a, a possible credit card usage so that you could uh, track that. Those are the types of things that I think that they're going to be doing. But I just want to back up a little bit uh, because Mike brought up the families earlier. And again, a lot of this stuff that goes out there, it puts the families in a, in a bad position where they might be uh, you know, going against the investigators, against the police, thinking they're not doing their job. Uh, I, I really think that that's very counterproductive in the case. And as far as those four people that are walking by, there is a lot of ways to track them down. Uh, cell phone technology, we talked about it early on. A cell tower in the area could be dumped, could give every cell phone that was on and pinging at that location at that time of evening. Eventually, I mean, it might be thousands of records they may come up with, those four individuals. However, putting it out in the media, they may come forward on their own. So I don't think it's going to be that hard to interview those individuals to see if they are included or not included. And Billy, one last thing about the tips you're talking about. A tip comes in and says, Joe Blow committed the murder. We know that we're focusing on somebody else. We don't look at Joe Blow. We forget about it. Later on down the line, we arrest the perpetrator. A defense attorney gets a hold of that tip and says, you didn't look at this guy. This guy's the real murderer. You create doubt in a court of law and you could blow the whole case. So yes, every tip is going to be looked at and investigated to say it's included or excluded from the investigation. Good point. Professor Geary. Yeah. Yeah, that goes to, as, as you know, as you guys know, dotting the I's, crossing the T's. It, uh, uh, and a defense attorney's trying to create reasonable doubt in any jury's mind. And if you can just hang up one possible juror, you might have a hung jury um, at trial. So it's it's going to be it's a it's going to be a long time in coming. And cell phone technology. And you get the cell phone dump. And if there was four people in that car or two people in the car, or just one person in that car, no, there's a 99% chance they had their cell phone and in their pocket and the cell phone was on. And it could be pinging off of various uh, cell phone towers as they traveling down some country road. How fast did they speed out of that place? I would think 
if they drove out slowly and it's looked like they're looking for an address to go from one party to another, that's one thing. Did they speed out of there like like a bat out of hell, like they're on adrenaline? You know, that's another that's another way to look at it. So you guys are absolutely right. This is uh, it's going to take a while. The cell phone technology is going to probably be very telling. But th- as you know, also, that takes uh, weeks and perhaps well over a month to get that sort of information before you even begin to analyze what's going on in that information. Absolutely. You know, it's not like the cell phone is going to point to a particular person and say, that's it. No, it's going to take uh, detectives going over that information, going back and forth over it, trying to figure out movements. And that's going to be a while. Absolutely. Folks, this is Police Off the Cuff, real crime stories. If you like true crime stories from a police perspective, from the folks that have actually done this type of work before, then you're in the right place. But do us a favor, go on our YouTube, hit that subscribe button, give us a thumbs up, and ring that bell. And if you want to support us, we have a Patreon with three different levels, and we also have a YouTube channel members. You see the folks with the green font, they're part of our channel members, and you can join that. We have five different uh, levels with that. We appreciate all our subscribers, and this channel is growing, and we appreciate all you guys and your support. You know, I just wanted to say on this case, there's so many areas of investigation that they must check out. And this vehicle, I think, I th- they released it on Thursday, uh, last Thursday. I believe they had it a lot sooner than that, and they were sitting on it for a while. But I believe it's super, super important. Potentially could be the perpetrator's car, potentially. So it is so important, and we talked about the lawman search and searching. If they definitively know that this car is a Hyundai Elantra, 2011 to 2013, there is a way to search DMV, Department of Motor Vehicle in Idaho, and pull up all the registered Hyundai Elantras between those years in a specific area. But that doesn't just close it out because this car could be from outside the area. So they need to know what Hyundai Elantras were in that area, which, again, Moscow, Idaho is not New York City. In New York City, Everywhere you go, there's a video camera on you. There's license plate readers. Every store has a video camera. It's like London has that ring of steel with video. New York City modeled their video system after London, after the ring of steel. So as I said, everywhere a vehicle goes, there's red light cameras, you know, easy pass all over the place. All of these things are tracking you. I don't know if Moscow has the same type of stuff. So the things that make New York City complicated also make it have a level of surveillance that large cities have, mostly because of uh, terrorism and because of 9-11 and that type of thing. That's why they have these type of cameras. But we, uh, Phil brought up you know, uh, geofencing, where they can pull up every electronic device in an area uh, during a specific time. We're still waiting on that. And that potentially could uh, bear fruit. As of yet, we're not aware that it has, but that can bear fruit. And that's why this investigation is so complicated. And the media, the press, you know, the the, uh, printed press and the broadcast and the social media has to be patient with this. This is not an easy ground ball. The first 48, oh, we got the information. We got, 
we're going to get the guy tonight. It's a lot more complicated than that. Phil? You know, Billy, uh, you talked about the cell phone technology, the geofencing. There are experts within the FBI, analysts, that can, uh, even though you're going to wind up with maybe tens of thousands of, of cell phones hitting a cell tower, or maybe even it's thousands, whatever it is, uh, there's ways to narrow it down that they can figure uh, by an area. Say you want to have any phones that were pinging between 3 a.m. and 4 a.m., very close to the crime scene. And then you're going to work outward from there. So I, I have a lot of faith in the uh, technology and the analysts within the FBI that I'm sure they're on top of stuff like that. Um, again, uh, all of the different tips that are coming in have to be followed. Uh, I think that uh, a lot of legwork is going in, good old-fashioned uh, detective work where you go out there, you knock on doors, you talk to people. And these are the things that when we talk about following the evidence, that's what you do. You have the physical evidence, the crime scene evidence, and then you have the tips that come in and all the other stuff, the technology, and you have to follow up all these things. And sometimes the trail gets real hot and you just it leads you right to the perpetrator. Absolutely. Patty Banks. Thank you for the 199 super chat. Suspicious car owners didn't come forward by now. The suspicious car owner is not going to come forward. Only person would come forward is if the person is not the suspicious car owner and owns that type of car. If this is the perv, obviously he's not going to come forward. Hopefully, hopefully he'll come forward with handcuffs on, but he's not going to surrender. Mike? Yeah, one of the uh, issues I think uh, as, as the investigation goes on, is that if you have enough people in the area around Moscow, Idaho, and they're watching at, I'm not, I don't mean to pick on anyone, CNN, Ashley Banfield, whatever, News Nation, whatever it happens to be, uh, you know, you can taint people's memories a little bit. If you, if they start to hear things over the course of uh, several weeks, if they've been interviewed once by the police, or maybe they haven't yet been interviewed, and whatever their memories were, it may be altered slightly by something they may adopt as a memory later on. And our, we all know our memories are not like, you know, uh, we're watching something and we, and we remember it six months later and it's like a, uh, a spool of film. No, our memories are, are, not, are malleable in many ways. And so that's one of the things I worry about. Hey, Mike, is, Mike, what, what, what cops, man? Uh, malleable? I don't know. Phil, you get that one? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm with some intellects today, so I'm just playing Sorry about that. I mean, we're educated, but malleable, you pulled that out of the university system there. Got that right. <laughs> oh, yeah. Schmitty, thank you for the $5 super chat. I've learned thank to you, watch Schmitty. the news with a grain of salt, then come to police off the cuff and duty, Ron, for common sense. The police are well ahead of us on this. Thank you, Schmitty, so much. And you know, there look, everyone that watches true crime or has a right to their opinion and can put their and that's maybe why people watch this, because they really are interested in what what's happening and and you know, put their their opinion in. And look, no one's wrong at this point. As even the most educated and I call them talking heads, uh people with homicide experience, FBI experience, behavioral analysis, they're not wrong, but they, they're not also not, you know, they can't predict with the crystal ball. They can predict like, we, you know, everyone knows what a hypothesis is, an educated guess. And um, that's as far as they can go. And that's how we have to respect the information that we receive. And some are, are more educated, more experienced than others. We play the rest of this.
last night on her show. Um, you know, it, that can't be easy for the families. People obviously in the absence of any information from police are desperate for a clue. On the flip side, people can come up with ideas and, and people can notice things. Um, and I think the FBI has done a really smart thing in establishing this website where people can upload videos themselves. Now, there's already been, I don't know how many thousand, um, you know, hours worth of videos uploaded and somebody has to go through all those videos. It's a lot of work. There is huge public interest in this case and that's good. That'll keep it alive and maybe a lead will come forward. Obviously, as time goes on, chances of that become slimmer. Um, you know, all of a sudden for someone to wake up and say, oh, holy cow, I've got this video on my cell phone. Maybe this has something to do with it. Or, oh, yeah, I was in that area. Maybe now I'll call police. That's less likely. This has been out there. I mean, you have, have to be living under a rock not to have heard about this case and not to know what the details of this case are and not to have heard the police from authorities to please come forward if you have any information. But it's good they're continuing to try. You never know when some sort of snippet of video or some sort of cell phone photo or somebody will remember that or heard something relevant in this case and they need it right now. Yeah, definitely. It's a lot of mercy for that family or those families of all those yeah. young people. Elizabeth Vargas, always good to see They so simplify uh, a witness coming forward. They are one of the exact reasons why witnesses don't come forward because it puts your whole life under a microscope and you're out there. All of a sudden, your face is all over the tube. It's all over the newspapers. So if someone wants to come in during this investigation, I would think they'd like to do it, and I'm going to pull a college word out of my archives, surreptitiously on the down low, as we used to say in the Bronx and upper Manhattan and parts of Brooklyn, on the down low, they'll come in to say the police, they don't want to be advertised. They don't want the media to know who they are. Because now if someone comes in, again, it turns their life upside down. And there's no small thing to that. That's a huge thing. Phil, what do you think? Well, uh, I'm going to go back to a homicide case that I had back in the 90s in Coney Island where uh, a 79-year-old woman was killed. Uh, the perpetrator is leaving her apartment, is spotted by a next-door neighbor. They engage, and he threatens to kill her. However, he's interviewed early on. We, we let him go because we didn't have anything to hold him on. He takes off, and he goes to Atlantic City. We go on television with the case, and this is eating away at this witness that saw us. We interviewed her the first day. She told us nothing. I didn't see anything, didn't hear anything. However, six months later, knock on the door. The perpetrator was out of the area. She was fearful of this guy. He had killed this 79-year-old woman. He was known in the neighborhood to be a vicious murderer. So she was afraid. Now, he was gone for all that time. Knock on the door. She just about pulled us into the apartment, gave up the information. We made an arrest, cleared the case. So sometimes these things take time. Obviously, the person that committed this horrendous quadruple homicide is a maniac. So maybe there is an eyewitness out there that's afraid and in fear, and it may take time. But things that the media is doing is presenting even more fear into a person like that. So again, you made a great point, Billy. I think that sometimes you just have to let the wheels of justice spin, the investigation continue, uh, you know, follow the evidence. And again, hopefully re-canvassing, talking to people again, that might be the turning point in this case. Absolutely. Charles Raymond, uh, you know, this is a great, um, great question. And I specifically don't know the answer. I can just conjecture, but 
Do you guys know if night vision satellite technology exists that the FBI might have access to? I know that that technology exists because I've seen it used on terrorists where they actually spot the tent that the specific terrorist is and they send a drone to the exact GPS coordinates and take the terrorist out. I don't know if that technology would be available to law enforcement. I know it exists, but I really do not know if... Uh, Mike, do you know the answer to that? Um, I don't know what the FBI has. Um, we've got all kinds of thermal imaging equipment that could actually uh, sense heat through walls and things like that. It's been around a while, but I don't know what the FBI has nowadays. That's that's yeah. uh, that's NSA territory, National yeah. Security Administration. That's uh, that technology is there. I don't know if it has to be focused on a specific area where they could start surveilling or if there's just, uh, you know, uh, 365, 24 hour a day surveillance of the whole United States. But that's you're going into NSA uh, territory. I I would probably if I had to guess, I would say that that would just be used for national security. Exactly. Issues, because once they let one law enforcement agency use it, you know how law enforcement is. Every single one of them would be calling 1-800. Let me use your satellite. You know. And uh, uh, Cell, question, does police look into the data of the victim's social media profiles and check if someone was obsessively looking at their pictures? If yes, how long does it take to process that data? Well, you asked, the second part is more difficult than the first part. The answer is absolutely, law enforcement. They, In some large departments, they actually have a computer crimes unit that will assist uh, precinct detectives, homicide detectives in this very a very specific part of law enforcement. How long does it take to process that? I totally cannot answer. You know, Billy, you brought up about the uh, cell phone technology and we talked about the NSA. Just to give you an idea about the NSA, all cell phone companies in the United States are required to keep all cell phone data for 365 days. Now, it costs them a lot of money to store all this uh, this information and this technology. Now, what I mean by that is calls going back and forth, text messages, pictures, all of that stuff. It's stored for one year. On 366, 365 days in a year, on 366 day, they erase it. The NSA keeps that information for five years. So again, you're not going to get access to it from FBI, local police, state police, whatever. That's something to do with national security, but they do hold on to that stuff for five years, mostly for terrorism and things of that nature. And anybody that wants to attack the country. Absolutely. Mike. Yeah, they've, uh, they, that program, I think Phil that you're talking about is the one that started under the Bush administration in the uh, 2004, 2005 uh, it was something that the rele- revelations of which in Congress caused a stir. Um, President Obama continued the program, but uh, it's one of those things. Once you go to that, once you have that technology and you see a need for it, it's going to marry to be married together, and it's a, it's a permanent thing. And uh, is it you know, there are downsides for personal security and personal liberty in America? Yes, but if able to be uh, you know gotten from storage. And used in a, in a case like this, if it was allowed to be actually even used in a case like this, would be groundbreaking. And I think, Billy, as you said, uh, they might be reticent to use that because once you get one police department having access to that sort of information, that level, that high level security of information, everybody's going to want it. Well, you know, Mike, the perfect example of that was on the NYPD when all cell phone dumps and cell phone data, cell site information 
was only to be used on murders. Next thing you know, they relaxed the policy and people started calling in for grand losses and robberies. And <laughs> the carriers were basically like, stop. Get stop. They big, had big money yeah. too, Billy. And folks, just so you know, because people couldn't believe this, when you when the police department asked for a data dump or a, uh, a cell phone tower, it costs about $1,000 a day. The carrier doesn't do that for free. They don't do it because they're trying to be good citizens. It costs a lot of money. And of course- they have to assign people to do that work. So it's not free in any stretch of the imagination, even for them. It costs a lot of money. I want to play um, some of Ashley Banfield and uh, Brian Enton here. Uh, Brian Enton's been all over this case. He's, a, he's an excellent uh, correspondent. And he's really a hard worker. Let me play this. Yeah, this was interesting. You showed that map. This liquor store is nowhere near. It's really on the opposite side of town uh, from the gas station that we focused on last night where the surveillance video was of the car. What we know, Ashley, is that within the last week, I don't have a specific day, but I know within the last week, police showed up at that state liquor store um, and that they got video, surveillance video from the store. There are cameras on the outside of the store that point towards the road there and the parking lot where the liquor store uh, is. And it's a busy area. There's hotels around. There's a couple of other stores. There's one of the cameras right there. You can see the way it points out. Um, and then there are also cameras inside the store. Um, I wasn't able to get specifics about whether police were interested in the video from outside or inside, but I am told that they got everything they wanted uh, and that they were there within the last week. So here's where I get confused. I've assumed uh, the minute you kill four people, you are amscring as fast as you can in the opposite direction of where those murders happened. And yet, it almost seems as though the gas station's on one side of town, there's liquor stores on another. I haven't been there. So from your perspective, what does this tell you that there's video in two different locations uh, that's of interest to the police? Well, what it tells me is um, I don't know that we should read too much into thinking that these things are specifically connected to the crime. Number one, actually, the video from last night, we went over it so closely, you and I. It is blurry, um, and we don't know for sure that it's a Hyundai Elantra, the gas station. You see the map again where the video came from last night. So that could be totally unrelated. And then the liquor store, um, we don't have enough details. I mean, have they just been going to different stores trying to get video? I've told you before, there's a lot of stores here that don't have cameras because there's not a lot of crime here. Are they just hitting up every store that has a camera and, and, uh, and trying to see what, what they can find? Or is there a reason they specifically targeted this liquor store uh, at this point? We you know, one of the reasons is how sure are they that this car is a Hyundai Elantra? Could that... Could they be mistaken? Could it just be a white car that looks like a Hyundai Elantra? Also, what is the route of entrance into Moscow? And what is the route, if this is the perpetrator's car, what is the route of escape? That is potentially why they're looking at video all over the place. If that is the car and it's passing this gas station, where did it go after that? Can we keep following it via video cameras? to see where it went, to see where it ended up? Or does some, at some location, does that search end because it goes out of video camera range? Mike? Yeah, I think yeah. that that um, the idea that uh, they're looking at, you know, roadways that are 
on the outskirts, maybe a mile or two away is excellent because if somebody is pumped up and they want to get the hell out of that area as fast as possible to lay low, they're going to be heading on the first highway they can get. Um, and um, you're doing the best you can. You know, we've, we talked about it before. You're working with, you know, what you're given and not what you wish. It would be wonderful if this was, you know, the Bronx or Brooklyn where or Manhattan where everybody's got cameras and, you know, security cameras. But here you're just hoping and praying that there's enough, you know, cameras out there, which will give you a really good idea. The person went north, south, east or west. Oh, they were spotted, you know, a, a mile away, two miles away, heading east, you know, that sort of thing. Um, you, you're doing the best you can. You're grabbing at every possible bit of evidence you possibly can have because that car may have also, you got to remember too, Moscow is over by the Oregon border. That may be a car that might might be owned by someone actually in Oregon. And you know, it's a it's a it's just a, another piece of the puzzle you're trying to you're trying to get. You know, I think that uh, media criticizes law enforcement when they don't do enough, and they also criticize them when they do too much because it's confusing them now. You know, oh, we're confused. Why are they doing this? And for a lot of you folks in the chat. How long do you think going through eight hours of video takes? <laughs> takes a hell lot, of, a lot more time than eight hours, right? Because you methodically have to slow it down, back it up, slow it down, back it up. So that could take 16 hours or 20 hours to go through all of it. And who's going through it? So think of the manpower it takes to watch these videos. There were certain things in homicide investigation that I used to be as a boss, I used to be amazed that detectives could do. And one of them was the cell phone work. It is so methodical and you looking at these little tiny numbers and trying to make connections of who called who, what time did they call who, where was the cell site? I used to go up to the detective and say, man, God bless you. I go, I would lose my patience. I pull the hair out. They see I have no hair now. That's why I would pull my hair out in the first 10 minutes. I could not do work like that. Phil? Two points I want to make, Billy. Number one, I believe that all of the video that I've seen, I cannot make out that that's a 2011 to 13 Hyundai Elantra. However, the police seem to be very certain about that. Perhaps they have better information or a better video that's not out there, that that's the vehicle they want to target to, to either talk to the person and possibly be involved or have information on the homicide. Second point I want to make, the most popular color of cars in the United States is white. So again, uh, you know, they're going to see a lot of different white cars. It's the most popular color of car in the United States. So other videos uh, that aren't that clear, you see a white car, you think, wow, this is it. They have to be able to focus down and figure out if that is the Hyundai Elantra that they're talking about. They're pretty certain, it seems to me, they came out publicly on numerous press conferences and said about that Hyundai Elantra there may be more to it than we're being uh, let on as far as what information they have in the case folder or what information they know. I think that's the car that is very, very important to this case. You know, Phil, the, the car that's sped by the gas station, like someone in the chat said, the shape of the headlights were very different than a Hyundai Elantra. Very different. Yes. So could that be incorrect information? That, that's it could why. be the video. It could be so many different things. There's a lot of variables there, but they seem certain, Billy. They put it out there. They seem certain about the model and the, and the year of a car. So I'm going to go with that for now. Mary Michael, thank you for the 499 Super Chat. In some videos I saw, 
The car almost looks like a Subaru Crosstrek. And I just cross track myself and look it up again. Nice little uh, play on words there. <laughs> That's good. I like her. Michael. That's what we're just discussing. Is this a, a, a Hyundai Elantra or is it is that is there mistaken? You know, and again, because of the onus that they're putting on this little piece of evidence, I think it's a hell of a lot more important than oh, this is three kids driving around joyriding. No, I think this potentially could be the perpetrator's car. Professor. Yeah, I think that uh, Phil's right. You know, you the police are really detailed in the car that they're looking for. To narrow it down to, to a two-year spectrum, 2011-2013, white Honda, a Hyundai, you know. And then you take, if you're, and that video is probably very grainy. It's probably, the pixels are probably not there. And it might, it might actually be, in the video, it might actually be a Honda. If you put a Honda, a Toyota, you know, a Hyundai all next to each other and they're all in white and they're all driving around late at night on, on, and you catch them on, on, on a, a camera with very little, very low quality pixels. You may very well not be able to tell one from another. I, I agree with Phil. They are not putting that out there unless they are really sure. And that video may not be actually of the car that they're looking for, but one that just looks an awful lot like it. Yeah, no, no, no doubt. I think it's very difficult well, look, as you said, the police seem pretty positive that this is a Hyundai Elantra uh, 211 to a 213 because may, perhaps the first time it was spotted on video, it was parked. It was stationary. So it's not moving. So perhaps the video is a lot, uh, a lot clearer than what we're seeing now. You know, Billy, I was involved in a case years back, and it happened to be a white car, too, as a matter of fact. But uh, when they targeted the vehicle and they figured out that this was the vehicle in question that was involved in the homicide, there were certain aspects of the car. And I don't want to go too detailed because, God forbid, the perpetrator is watching this and changes the, the look of the car. There were certain aspects of the car that they were able to discern whether this car was the car. Uh, in question, as opposed to other white cars in other videos. So there is technology when you have an expert that studies the video and can figure, let's say, damage to a car or different things like that. I don't want to go too detailed, but they were able to narrow down and they had the exact uh, escape route and when this vehicle was in the area before the homicide. So again, the video technology today is great, especially with traffic cameras and things of that nature. And somebody's ring doorbell cameras give great, great quality. So again, uh, that's all going to be looked at. It is night. It makes it a little bit more difficult. Like uh, Mike was saying about the, uh, about the pixels on these cameras, it's going to be important. But uh, I think that it seems certain they're, they're certain about the model and year. Uh, I mean, to say a Hyundai and then say the Elantra and then say the year, that's pretty specific to me. Absolutely. Overtime, Bill, did the police release that video or the person who works there leaked it? That's a good question. Uh, all the press has this video. So whether I'm not 100, to tell you the truth, I'm not 100% sure if the police released this. I would think if this just went to the, you know what happens when the press hears that a, a, a specific place gave video to the police, they're on that place like flies on you know what, and they're demanding to have it released to them. So that could be, I would think if the police received this and think it was kept quiet, they would not have released it. But uh, it's all it's all over right now. Uh, let me play the rest of this um, Banfield interview. We don't know. 
But it's interesting that they just went there within the last week. Did something cause them to go there just within the last week? Uh, again, things, uh, you know, police aren't giving us those kinds of specifics. And how about the lucky break that the video still exists? We're 31 days out. Everybody knows that video is a finite compilation. Uh, you know, storage space is limited. And, you know, you went to a place last night, a vape store that was just down the road from that gas station, and they said we would have happily handed over our security video, but it was past seven days when they arrived. We didn't have any. It had all been taped over or it was gone from the buffer. You know, those are frustrating questions I think the public has a right to ask because we have been told all along that there is this, you know, almost a hundred person force that's defended on, you know, descended onto this this case, Brian. So it's it's distressing to think that 31 days uh, and just in the last few days we're hearing that video is being, you know, is being collected. I would have assumed just every point of reference in Moscow you know, would have been collected on the off chance there'll be a tip about a car. Okay. You know, I just like to let them know, and I, I like Ashley Banfield, I like Brian Enton, but guess what? Police are human beings. Police are stretched to the max with this case. Police make mistakes. Police can't go to every single place on earth and collect their video. I don't know how, what the time frame was when this white Elantra became a thing, but they're doing the best they can. And the fact that they didn't collect it, they didn't maybe know about it in the first week. So how were they going to every place? You know, they were just speaking about how a lot of places erased their video after one week. So then the potential smoking gun video is now gone. But as I said, they didn't, I don't know if they became, well, look, they released the white Elantra information on Thursday. They may have had it a lot sooner than that. But, you know, as I said, no one is perfect. And to demand perfection out of the police is to be um, to be unrealistic, in my opinion. And, uh, you know, they're going to make mistakes. And again, they're talking about the amount of personnel. Maybe they don't have enough. Maybe that's not enough for this case. This case is a 24-7, you know, operation. And maybe they need more personnel. I, I can't, you know, answer the manpower. Only the bosses working this case can. So let's talk about the direction. I'm going to ask our control to put that map up again, because when you say that they're, you know, they're far, you know, far between each other. If you started the crime scene down on the left hand side of your screen on the bottom, it is really circuitous to get to that gas station and drive by and then end up way up at the liquor store. Could you tell me if there's like an I-95 escape route that would be quicker if you went that direction like does does that direction make any sense anywhere if you were to go by the liquor store first and then the gas station or the gas station first and then the liquor store not really and i'm looking at the map and what's interesting is in between all of these locations is the university of idaho so the campus is in the middle and what i've been trying to figure out you mentioned the vape shop we went to the vape shop yesterday which is near the gas station where the video was taken over on the right side of your screen they say the police came to their establishment nine days after the murders looking for video and they didn't have it anymore because their systems delete video after a week. So that was nine days after the murder. The liquor store says the police came within just this last week, which is interesting when you look at the timeline. Why were they interested in the area where the vape store is uh, early on and now they seem to be uh, focusing or at least looking for video uh, in the area where the liquor store is, which is on the other side of town. 
a month later. Yeah. Okay. I have to ask this last question because obviously, Brian, all of these questions are excellent questions for the police. And I know our viewers have been watching this story and they will know what today is. Today is Wednesday, exactly four weeks since they held their press conference last. And now we can't ask these questions or get public scrutiny on the work of the police. Do we have any idea when they might face reporters again? Well, we expect to be able to talk to the police tomorrow to um, to the the public information officer. And look, I, I sort of get it. I mean, when there is not a big update, um, what is the point of doing interviews when you're just going to sort of say the same thing and in a way just kind of frustrate people? So I think that today they chose to sort of have off day. Um, and then tomorrow, hopefully, maybe we'll get get a little bit more information. Thank you for watching. Go to. You know, a lot of folks in the chat are they're shaking their head, too, that the police are expected to do all of this stuff and not miss a thing. And in a perfect world, I would agree with you. But guess what? It's, it's not a perfect world. And yeah. They're probably stretched to the max. And I don't have, to, I think there's only six detectives from the the Moscow police on this case. Uh, I thought I read somewhere that there was like um, 22 from the FBI. They may have brought five more, so 27. And then there's a bunch, and I don't have the exact number from the Idaho State Police. It doesn't, when you talk about a 24-7 investigation, it doesn't sound like a lot of personnel for this and all the things that have to be accomplished regarding this investigation and all the demands and the expectations of course everyone is expecting and not just expecting demanding an arrest in this case i'm demanding an arrest in this case i'm predicting there will be an arrest in this case however failure in this case is not an option phil I just want to address what Ashley Banfield was saying, that she found it uh, critical of the police that uh, in the beginning they were at the one location in the first few days, first week, and now three weeks later. That's what the, the, the word police work entails. You start at ground zero and you work your way out. And maybe the, there was information in the early stages that that smoke shop or whatever it was that they wanted to get video from there. And now they went to the other location, the liquor store, which was further away. It's just the way the investigation is going. And if you looked at that map, there were clear major roads that went from the crime scene to the first location to the second location. It maybe wasn't an exact route, but there was roads going that way. It could be the way that they believed that the perpetrator exited this area. So again, you don't uh, walk up to a map and say, I'm going to go search here and stick a pin in the map and go look at for a video at a location that may have nothing at all to do with the crime scene. You go where the evidence takes you. That's the methodical way of investigation. Homicide investigation is done or any investigation is done. You're not going to go off on, on a, on a on a tangent on a fishing expedition because you feel good about this location. No, you're going to go where the evidence takes you. So again, I'm getting a little frustrated the way that people are categorizing and you know 
criticizing the investigation in, in this case. You don't have the case folder in front of you. You don't know why those investigators went there on those days and time. However, in my heart, I believe they went there for good reason at those days and time. I don't think that they decided to skirt, you know, good information and say, oh, we're not going to do that today. Let's do it in three weeks from now. That's ridiculous. So again, everybody has to be patient. I know it's frustrating. Four families are without their children. And I have college age daughters. Can't even imagine. But the public, the media, everybody's got to take a deep breath. Let the investigators do their work. There's going to be a successful conclusion to this case. I'm certain of it. Professor Mike. Yeah, I think uh, Phil's right. Um, you know, policing in this manner is reactive. You're going to you're going to be presented with this horrific crime scene. The small department has to reach out. And I think the in an interview, the chief said that he reached out within like 24 hours to the state police and then the FBI was brought in. And maybe you have, say, 70, 80, 100 people, whatever the task force is. Not all of them are out there as detectives. Some of them are working the crime scene. Some of them are doing technical stuff. Some of them are, uh, you know, prop, uh, invoicing property. And uh, some of them are photographers and taking crime scene photographs. Some of them are, you know, uh, uh, looking at um, DNA evidence. And then just, so then you take all that, you take that huge number, narrow it down. And now you have a certain corpus of detectives. If they're looking at, you know, tips also, to track down one tip to either say it's a good tip or a bad tip, that might take a detective four hours, eight hours, who knows, uh, to do an interview with somebody is going to take you hours. And so uh, there is so much to work through and you have a finite number of officers working, uh, officers and detectives working, you know, as Phil says, patience, patience, and that you have to work methodically because you don't want to skip anything. So you, you are always working uh, like uh, behind the eight ball, I, should, I don't know a better way to say it. You're always working with, you know, uh, at a disadvantage. Well, Mike, also part B of the interviews and the voluminous amount of interviews you must do is you have to memorialize those interviews. And by that, I mean, you have to type up the interview. That, right? believe it or not, takes a lot of time. You know, oh, I just interviewed this guy for two hours. Now you've got two or three hours worth of typing to do to type and memorialize what that person said so that it's in the case folder so that the next detective that reads the case folder has the interview that you just did. So it's people that don't understand detective work. They don't understand that part of it. And it's, it's, it's very important. I want to, this was earlier on when they had first discovered this call. Let me play a little bit of this and we'll get an idea of why and how they came to the, that this was a, Hyundai Elantra. You can see they're speaking, hoping to speak with the occupants of a white 2011 to 2013 Hyundai Elantra with an unknown license plate. Tips and leads have led investigators to look into additional information about a vehicle being in that immediate area of the King Street residence during the early morning hours of November the 13th. Of course, this, the Hyundai Elantra, you can see there. So they have information that this vehicle was in the King Street area, which is the address of the house, in the hours that the murders took place. So that's why they're, they're you know, they came upon the fact that this was a Hyundai Elantra. They're just a stock picture, as investigators believe the occupants of this vehicle may have critical information to share regarding this case. And as you know, 
what police have told us is that these four victims were stabbed between three and four in the morning. The four students, they returned just early morning hours of this uh, November 13th in uh, in this residence in Moscow. And it was uh, between three and four that they believed they were stabbed. So certainly looking for the occupants of those uh, potential car, that white Hyundai Elantra. Of course, Lee saw this earlier today. So we followed both of these cases here today uh, as they were over two hours packing up the belongings of the four murdered Idaho college students, including one victim's pink cowboy boots, Moscow police chief James Fry, and at least six other officers were in this residence early this morning. Uh, officers could be loading that U-Haul with plastic. So, folks, that's, you know, when they first, uh, the car came into question, uh, this little bit of evidence. And now they're doing all their investigative work to try to find this car, which also is extremely painstaking and time-consuming. Bill? Did you see how specific they were about the year, saying it was in the area, King Street, all of those different things? It tells me, and I'm reading between the lines a little bit, that they have more information about this vehicle than they're putting out there. So, again, very, very important is that Hyundai Elantra. Uh, again, it's a white car, number one uh, most popular color in the United States. So I think they have to narrow it down to try and figure out if there's other video in the area. But they'll do it. It's a painstaking uh, part of the process, but that's what good investigators do. They sift through the evidence. They follow it. Uh, and they continue on and uh, there will be, they, they will find this vehicle. I'm certain of it. I'm very confident of it. Absolutely. Mike. Yeah, I think um, Phil's right. You know, it's going to take a while. They know what they're doing. They've got a lot of information that they just strategically won't release uh, to the public. Um, I think part of the public and maybe uh, some of the commentators on TV, they have an idea that if you're watching, you know, uh, a movie, a two hour movie, about a murder, uh, and you know, like like uh, the, like the Agatha Christie kind of movie. There's always a Scotland Yard detective who figures it out within 45 minutes, and it's over. And you've got a really small, limited group of possible suspects, and it's all done, you know, lickety split. That's you know not going to happen here. It's going to take a while, and um, they're not chasing this uh, Hyundai. For no reason. It's more than just, we just wanted to view these kids. There, There's a lot of information. They just can't strategically uh, release it to the public right now. Uh, look what happens when you release someone's name. Uh, I think the gentleman who was at the uh, uh, that the uh, food truck, you know, uh, you don't want to be, you don't want your name in public. You don't want to, you don't want, you don't want, they, the police don't want to risk that a, a, sus, uh, a witness's name being released to the public. That person's going to be doxxed. That person is going to be identified all over the internet. That person may be subject to uh, death threats. I th so that's one of the reasons why I think the, the the police are so reticent. They just do not want to show their hand at this point, knowing that whatever information they give to the to the out to the public uh, may just be you know morph into something uh, through you know cable news and twenty four hour seven day week internet you know demands. You know, Mike, that's uh, that's an interesting point because not only does um, the press change the game, but the internet changes the game. Yeah. The internet really does. Because is there a possibility that YouTube content creators could come up with information that is very important? Yeah, absolutely. We saw that in the Gabby Petito case, and they keep pointing to that. 
Yes, because there's, guess what? There's thousands of people doing this type of uh, these shows, uh, commenting on the internet, people, uh, you know, Twitter, uh, Instagram, all of this, uh, YouTube, all of this stuff is out there. So it does change the game in a way that we didn't see perhaps 20 or 25 years ago. Phil? Uh, I just want to piggyback a little bit on what Mike said earlier. He talked about how there's so many different investigators in the case. And just like TV, like you brought up, Mike, you know, that one investigator solves the whole case. It's not true. It never happens that way. It starts from the first person that responds to that location. They're involved in solving of the case. EMS is involved. The ambulance people that pronounce the victims. Uh, so many different things uh, are there's so many ingredients is the point to solving a murder case. Uh, it's not a, uh, you know, a, an episode of, uh, an episode of NYPD blue where it's solved in an hour. It's very difficult. It's very painstaking and it's always a team effort. Any detective or any person that says, Oh, I solved the case on my own full of baloney. It's not true. Absolutely. Phil, let's get to this. Joel Murray, attorney at law. Have you found yourself in a jam? Are you in need of legal counsel in the New York area? Do you need a victim's advocate? Well, Joel Murray is your man. He's not only an experienced trial attorney, he's also a retired 15-year member of the NYPD. He literally knows both sides of the fence. His website is jmurray-law.com. His telephone number is 646-838-1702. Or you can email Joe at joe at jmurray-law.com. Joe Murray is a big uh, supporter of the show, and uh, we want to thank him for uh, Man. that. You know, folks, um, we we try to put forth information that uh, we find pertinent to this case. There is so, so much information coming out on this case and day-to-day, and you really have to carefully um, sift through it, what it means. And we don't just interpret it from what the press says it means. We interpret it from our uh, our knowledge and our experience as being former NYPD, uh, two sergeants here, one one detective, uh, and we we've worked homicide cases before, so we 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 really feel for the process here, and how they're working this case, how they're doing their very best, and is it frustrating? You bet. I think that more people seem frustrated from the press than the police. You know. They somehow feel that they should solve this case. And they're frustrated that they're not getting the information that they're almost demanding, demanding. And guess what? The police are doing a good job not releasing that information. And I can imagine how difficult it is to uh, remain resolute and not to release uh, things that might make your job easier with the families, but in the long run, destroy the case. Mike? Yeah. Yeah. The, the, what the public doesn't see is the, is the day-to-day work. The detectives just going out day after day after day, you know, interviewing people, tracking down witnesses, looking over leads, as you say, Billy, also then, you know, banging out the DD5s, you know, the, the complete follow-ups, doing all that stuff. That takes hours and hours and hours. This is an, a work-intensive environment. And there's nobody getting a good night's sleep. The cop, the you know, they've got the coffee going 24-7. People are probably taking power naps and getting right back to work. This is just what you have to do until it's over. And uh, if the public could only see that, that would be wonderful. But they're, they're, the public's perception is, you know, 
uh, is based on what they see on, on television, as you say, NYPD Blue. And unfortunately, they take that to mean that that's actually really accurate to what is happening today. It's not. You know, Mike, I, 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 when you're talking about taking power naps, I just remember when I was working homicides, I was so pumped up with adrenaline. I couldn't sleep. Sometimes I would go home after not sleeping for three days. And I know people that never did this kind of work might not understand it, but I was too tired to fall asleep. I could not fall asleep. Because I was, and I don't know if anyone's experienced, Phil, I'm sure you have that feeling of you just, you can't sleep because you're too tired, (laughs) you know? You you know, Billy, um, what people aren't understanding is this, and I would be honored if I was still active to be work on a case like this, because I would want to get justice for those families. And what happens is if you're an investigator on this case or any homicide case, your personal life goes on hold. There's no birthday parties. There's no holidays. There's no vacations, anything like that. If you're a true investigator, that's what happens. And people don't quite understand that you're talking about being, I was up for three days on a homicide case and I was given the opportunity on two of the three days to go home and get rest because there were so many investigators on the case. I said, no, this is my case. I'm staying. They, at the end of the three days, they had to drive me home. That's how I could, I was falling asleep uh, sitting at my desk. So again, it's part of it. I don't have any regrets about it. It's what you do. You're given the, unbelievable uh, uh you know it's an honor to have you're going to speak for that dead person you're assigned to that investigation you have that that on your shoulders and you know everything else goes out the window personal life goes on hold you know i just want to uh, answer moose girl 108 because she had uh actually moose girl 08 she had asked this question twice how do you get overseeing these scenes uh, you don't i think the real answer to that is exactly. you don't Exactly. It will always be imprinted upon your brain the horrendous stuff that you've seen as a cop, as a homicide sergeant, as a homicide detective. Uh, it'll always be imprinted on your brain. And hopefully you have a good family, a good wife, good kids, and you have a good life that you can live your life and have a, a good life and not dwell on this stuff. But it takes its toll on everyone that's done this type of work, and that's for sure. Guys, we were at uh, almost a, an hour, 10 minutes uh, Phil, I'm going to give you last words and Mike, and then we'll say uh, goodbye to everyone that uh, came by today. Final words. Everybody has to be patient. Like I said earlier, take a deep breath. There's some really good investigators on this case. Just have faith. It's going to get solved. Those families, keep them in your thoughts and prayers. It's uh, the holiday season. Those people are not having a holiday. The investigators are not having a holiday. So just keep a good thought for those people. And again, uh, just have faith and uh, hug your kids and uh, just be thankful that uh, none of us are going through what these poor families are going through. Yes. Professor Mike. Uh, I just have to say, Phil's right. I can't add to that. I couldn't say it any better. You just have to, you know, just uh, pray for the people involved. Absolutely. Folks, this is police off the cuff, real crime stories. We're going to stay on this case if there's any new information But we want to wish all you guys a great holiday season. And I say holiday season because I know not everyone celebrates Christmas. There's people celebrating Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, whatever your holiday is. Have a great holiday season. Be safe out there. If you go to Christmas parties, get a uh, designated driver. Don't drink and drive. Anyway, have a great day. And God bless from Police Off the Cuff. Stay safe, everyone. 
sing it enough. 